Welcome to Luke 21 Radio, a broadcast explaining biblical prophecy in the tradition of St. Augustine. And now, from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Luke 21 Radio. We're continuing our study in the Olivet Discourse. What's the Olivet Discourse? Well, it's the teaching that Jesus gave on the Mount of Olives. It's his teaching regarding the end times, and that teaching slightly varies between Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. We're going to tackle a very important question today, and actually we're going to extend that same question till next week and maybe even a week after, because this will apply not only to the three passages I just mentioned, it also will apply to the book of Revelation, trying to interpret it. And here's the big question. Is Matthew 24 and the other passages, Mark 13 and Luke 21, is it talking about the future or... Is it talking about something in the past, or in some way is it talking about both? And remember, I I taught you a couple of words that's used in studying eschatology or biblical prophecy. The future view is called the futurist view. The past view, which may be unfamiliar to many of you, the past view is called the preterist view. So the question before us today, we're going to be looking at Matthew 24 as an example of all three passages. Does Jesus's teaching in Matthew 24 have any historical reference? Does it have any preterist leanings? And one of the reasons I'm trying to emphasize this is that if you turn on your TV and watch the TV prophecy experts, they will invariably quote passages from Matthew 24 with a 100% future or futurist application. Now, I'm not saying, personally, that there are no future implications to Matthew 24, but I do think there's some very strong indicators that Jesus' teaching is a prophecy of something that would happen in Jerusalem and the surrounding area. And here we go. The very context of Matthew 24 and the other passages, Mark 13 and Luke 21, the disciples uh, are pointing out to Jesus these wonderful stones that make up the Jerusalem temple. And they leave the temple area, go up to the Mount of Olives, and that's when they start asking Jesus, well, what's this deal with no stone left upon another. When will this be? What's the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And there may be multiple questions there, but it's obvious that the teaching that Jesus gives in response to just leaving the Jerusalem temple about the destruction of Jerusalem temple has to do with the Jerusalem temple, which was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. In other words, the opening words of Matthew 24 point to Jerusalem and the temple, the stones not being left one upon the other. So if Jesus was teaching in 30 AD and within a generation, biblically around 40 years or so, by 70 AD, the Romans come, the temples destroyed, the prophecy fulfilled. This would be the preterist viewpoint. 
I want to show, because I think there's a balance. I'm just tell you where we'll end up with this. Personally, I think there's a balance here, but the weight actually goes to the preterist view. And if you ignore the historical context and try to interpret any biblical passage, doesn't have to be dealing with biblical prophecy, you want to try to understand it in its historical context. You don't want to leave it there like a fossil. You want to apply it to today, but you start with the historical context. And one thing often overlooked by the futurist is this. There's a strong connection between Matthew 23 and Matthew 24. I know this sounds rather simple, but it's like they start ripping into Matthew 24 and just pretend Matthew 23 doesn't exist. So what's going on in Matthew 23? Well, Jerusalem is going to be destroyed, and it breaks Jesus's heart. He, he ends the chapter with, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Um, oh, I would have gathered you together, but, you know, instead you stone the prophets who God in his mercy sends, and now he's sending his son. So the context in Matthew 23 is Jerusalem. The context in Matthew 24, I just mentioned, is Jerusalem. Listen to Jesus in Matthew 23, verse 36. Listen to me carefully. This is Jesus saying, truly I say to you, all this will come upon this generation. In other words, the culmination of judgment for the rebellion against God and his law. All this will come upon this generation. That's Matthew 23, 36. Let's jump to Matthew 24, verse 34. Jesus says, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away till all these things take place. Uh, almost identical statements, one in Matthew 23, one in Matthew 24. Matthew 23 is clearly talking about Jerusalem. Matthew 24 opens with Jesus talking about Jerusalem. In Matthew 24, in the middle of the chapter, or well into it, he talks about the holy place, which is in Jerusalem. Then he says, those who are in Judea, I, I'm right now broadcasting from the city of Greenville, South Carolina. But there's also Greenville County, the outlying areas beyond the city limits. Judea is like the county. It's the surrounding the area of Jerusalem, which was attacked by the Romans in 70 AD. Now, here's another one that's often overlooked because you hear about the abomination of desolation in Matthew 24, 15. And Jesus says that's one of the key indicators. When you see the abomination or the desolating sacrilege in the holy place, then take off from Judea, which the early Christians did. They went to Pella, abundant water supply. Who knows? They may have even prepared by storing up some food there, knowing that this was going to come upon this generation. So we have the connection of Jerusalem, but you move back to Matthew 23, Jesus says, behold, your house is forsaken and desolate, desolate. The next chapter, when you see the desolating sacrifice, do you, do you see the connection here? Jesus is basically in the warm-up phase for the pitch, so to speak. Matthew 23 is the warm-up. Matthew 24 is the pitch. Actually, they're both pretty solid teachings about the judgment coming upon Jerusalem. 
Now, those who are what I would call 100% futurists says, nah, uh-uh, this couldn't possibly be so. Because right before that uh, abomination desolation spoken of in Matthew 24, 15, the verse before, verse 14, is proof that this wasn't the first century. And, and here, here it is. This is Jesus teaching. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. You say, well, that's easy. I mean, the gospel wasn't preached in all the known world. Uh, the Vikings, excuse me, Christopher Columbus, I have a Norwegian background, but no one had discovered the new world yet. Obviously, the gospel hadn't gone to North and South America, many places of Asia, and maybe only a certain fraction of Africa. But in the New Testament, the world, just say through the whole world, would refer to the Roman Empire, the known world. And here's three scriptures that when the futurists throw up Matthew 24, 14, saying, no, this, this can't be the first century, well, listen. Romans chapter 1 and verse 8, St. Paul speaking, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Wherever you're living right now, was the gospel proclaimed where you're living? Of course not. It was only in the Roman Empire. So proclaimed in all the world in Romans 1, 8 refers to the Roman Empire. Colossians 1.16, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing. Was the gospel bearing fruit in Latin America when Paul wrote Colossians? No, he's referring to the entire Roman Empire. Colossians 1.23, the hope of the gospel which you heard which has been preached to every creature unto heaven, which I, Paul, became a minister. Was the gospel preached to every person in the entire world? No, but the gospel had gone into the major metropolitan areas of the known world. This was a very common expression used in the first century, and Jesus could have easily used this expression relating to the spread of the gospel between 30 AD and 70 AD. Now here's the big question. Could there possibly be a double sense to Jesus's statement that the gospel will be preached throughout the whole world? Could you have a 70 AD Roman Empire application and interpretation? Well, it's obvious you can, but could that literally then extend to the entire globe before the second coming? Here's where I'd like to recommend to you a good Catholic commentary. It's the Catholic Commentary on Sacred Scripture series published by Baker, and it's by Curtis Mitch and Ed Shree, who do the Matthew volume, and here's what they say. In the first century context, the world could simply mean the Roman world, but insofar as the trials of the first century foreshadow the trials to occur at the end of days, one can also read this as a prediction of a truly global evangelization. The final events of history will be heralded by the church completing its mission of preaching the gospel to the entire world. So, does it have a preterist or historical application? I think it's without a doubt. But does that mean it eliminates all future application? I don't think so. 
And I think uh, Curtis Mitch and Ed Shree are very careful the way they present this. There's a both application. So you might say, well, Steve, are, are you a, a preterist uh, regarding Matthew 24? Do you believe that Jesus is talking about events of judgment, uh, the end time, so to speak, for the Jerusalem, the temple system, referring to 70 AD? I would say yes, I would be a preterist. But then somebody might say, well, you mean to say then you're not at all a, a futurist? No, not necessarily. I'm not one of those 100% futurists who go on TV, use Matthew 24 without any historical context, without trying to put Jesus's words in their original meaning and setting. So yes, I acknowledge the preterist, but I don't squeeze that view so hard that I eliminate that what happened in the first century judgment couldn't be a foreshadowing and a preview of the final century's judgment. So you say, are you a preterist? Are you a futurist? Or are you both? I'm both, provided you first recognize the historical context. And next week, I'm going to give you a very simple way using one single verse in the Gospel of Matthew from the lips of Jesus, proving that a double fulfillment of biblical prophecy is indeed possible. I'm Steve Wood, your host. You've been listening to episode 45 of Luke 21 Radio. Luke 21 is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. To learn more about biblical prophecy and to order copies of Luke 21 broadcasts, visit us online at luke21.com.